Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Uh, I'm John, your host, and I'm so excited for our next episode of the State of Developer Education. I'm here with Sid Maestri, who is the VP of Developer Relations at API Matic. How's it going today? It's going great. Thanks for inviting me on today. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm really excited for our conversation. Um, I always like to start every episode with uh, going as far back as possible for, for many of my guests. Uh, I'd love to hear your story of how you first got into CS and programming. Yeah, so I I think I came a pretty unconventional route. I actually studied uh, the social sciences in, in college. So a lot of history, psychology, a lot of uh, you know, little economics, just a little bit of everything uh, without really a direction, uh, except maybe going into education. So I actually got a teaching credential to teach uh, history in high school. And after I finished that whole program, I, I thought, you know, I don't know if this is the right career path. And I bounced around a little bit uh, until I finally realized that my hobby at the time, which was writing music on my computer, was where I just sort of lost myself. And I was so you know, enthralled when I would create something. And I said, I, I got to be able to do something with this, I got to be able to parlay this. And so, yeah, I got in at the very bottom with tech support and kind of, you know, worked my way up as the web was, was really burgeoning and, be, you know, got into web design, Photoshop. I don't know if you remember Flash, did a whole lot of Flash design. Uh, and then eventually got into like real, what I would call real programming, you know, doing server-side applications powered by databases and, you know, watched all the new JavaScript libraries come about. So yeah, pretty uh, pretty unusual path, I think, compared to nowadays where we've got so many great, you know, educational resources and boot camps and so many CS grads. It's 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 very much a different world, but uh, I, I feel fortunate that I was able to, to get into this career uh, when I did. You know what? You might be the first person I've ever met that has uh, that same story as I did. I actually also got a history degree and was going into becoming a history teacher and got diverted into tech. That, that's uh, kind of wild. And, and and DevRel eventually, right? So yeah. we're we're back in our roots of of education. Is sort of how I like to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what area of history were you focused on? Uh, you know, in in the high school, it was a lot of you know U.S. history, world history, that sort of thing. So uh, I definitely tended to uh, to focus in that area. What, what what did you learn from teaching in a high school environment? Like that's so different than what most developers ever see in their entire career. Yeah, you know, I think I I sort of um, I I saw a, a huge disparity in what students walking in the front door brought with them. And it, I think what really kind of got me to change my career direction was I felt a real need to, to succeed 100% of the time. And when you're teaching, 
there's no guarantee that the students are all going to grasp all the concepts the first go around. They're not all going to get A's. They're not all going to be, you know, some of them were bored, like it wasn't challenging enough. And so I think that was uh, kind of the light bulb moment for me that, you know, I, I think I'd be like kind of beating myself up a lot uh, every, at the end of every day and saying that I failed some of these students. And so I, that's kind of why I, I went to tech where maybe the machine doesn't judge me as harshly. Yeah, there's a lot riding on whether or not a high school student is successful in a class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a heavy weight. And uh, I, I, a lot of respect for this, for the teachers that, that are out there doing it really well. And, and, you know, the ones the students love, the ones I loved growing up, uh, those are the, the teachers that are, you know, really just very admirable. Yes, I completely agree. Um, I'm curious, like, in DevRel, it's a very multidisciplinary field, right? You have to have technical expertise, you have to have interpersonal skills, you have to be able to write and, you know, be a, a effective communicator. Um, like, how, how did your liberal arts background impact that? Yeah, you know, uh, I would say I was a pretty poor writer through my college career. I <laughs> I don't know if I was afraid to read what I wrote, but I was sort of like fire and forget it sort of writer where I would just stream of consciousness, submit it, not get really great grades. And it was only when I went in to get my teaching credential and I started having uh, a friend actually review and critique my work and bring it back to me and, you know, actually challenge what do you mean by that? You, you're, you're omitting information here. And it really pushed me to be a better writer. And I think I've used that quite a bit in DevRel where I have a team and I'm trying to mentor them to be better writers. And something I think I learned back in college was how can you say that in less words and, and be more effective and more clear in your communication? And that's, that's something I've kind of held on to. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, incredibly valuable skill, even for technical people. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that when you started off your career, it looked like you went uh, into working for a university. Like that was your first tech job. Uh, most of us have only ever seen the other side of that where we're in class, but what was it like to work in a tech organization that was actually a school? Yeah, it was a real interesting uh, opportunity. I had done uh, several years of consulting where I would just go from gig to gig. And I did a project where the university, it was actually the law school. So it was the school within the school. Uh, they sort of wanted to go their own way uh, a lot of times. And they had built up their own little IT department and they needed a content management system. And so they hired me to build it. And once I delivered it, they said, we love it but we don't have the internal resources to actually maintain and improve and keep it going. Would you be open to, to joining? And, and I said, oh, sure. Like maybe I'll stay here a year. Uh, and then my wife and I had our first child and, you know, eight years later, uh, it, it was extremely um, comfortable. It was a nice environment, uh, but, you know, at times a little bit lonely because I was the solo engineer. I, I had IT people, I had support people, other technical people, but no other coders like myself. And so uh, I have to walk across campus to the main uh, IT department to talk to someone who, who actually wrote code for the main university. Uh, and so that was, I think, the big uh, difference between working at a 
a bigger company or even a startup where you have lots of, you know, half the company's engineers and you're always having lots of lunches and, and you know, uh, water cooler talk about the latest technology, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of developers get their start, at least, you know, of a certain generation in organizations that were not entirely technical focused. Yeah. Um, it's a very different environment than being surrounded by engineers who may or may not have a lot more experience than you. Yeah. How, how did you transition that into DevRel? Like, like I can see the the zigzaggy path of like educator, technologist, those things coming together in DevRel, but how did that play out in reality? Yeah. So I think uh, if I were going to pinpoint it, I went to an Adobe conference which at the time was a mix of both design and different technologies. And I just felt like a real connection to the community there. It was, I think it was the first time I really experienced a developer community. And I went home and I think I found a podcast from some people that were there. I heard about user groups and meetups. I started going to those. And I just felt an, a, a need to like participate and I, I got involved and I ended up starting my own meetup, uh, which was a few years after the iPhone. Mobile meetups were all the rage in the Bay Area. And I thought, you know, there's no one doing a, I would call it non-native uh, mobile meetup that dealt with all the HTML5 and the JavaScript frameworks and all the cross-platform tools that were the rage at the time. And so I just started reaching out to people to come and speak and I found a space and uh, a recruiter from PayPal found me and uh, approached me and uh, it never occurred to me ever in my life that I would go that direction or, or that I even had the skills or capabilities to to be in DevRel. And, and so I, I think I just got lucky that someone noticed what I was doing in my spare time for fun that I was just really, you know, getting a kick out of. I feel like a lot of the best developer advocates I've, I've met were discovered in similar ways. Like they, they were able to turn something they were passionate about, like running a meetup or a community or, you know, creating tutorials and turn that into a job. And someone just had to make that connection for them. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing. Uh, the power of suggestion when, when someone comes to you and says, Hey, I have this problem or, hey, can you help me with this? And uh, you, you're not even thinking about, could I help this person? It's like their simple act of approaching you and, and planting that seed uh, can really uh, impact people's lives in, in huge ways. I, I think the whole mobile meetup actually started from a tweet that I saw about uh, um, a mobile framework that was written in JavaScript. And that one tweet led me down the path of like really getting into that stuff and kind of changed my whole career. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, what was DevRel like at PayPal in those days? Like what year are we talking here and, and what stage of the, the organization were we at? Yeah, it was uh, 2011, pretty uh, early 2011. And they were in this sort of trans. It was a it was a kind of a transition point for PayPal where they had PayPal, they had eBay, they had APIs, and they were trying to start this new sort of third pillar developer platform because they already had PayPal Developer and they wanted to do this X.com. 
And so I think it was my second week there, I was suddenly an X.com employee and, and not a PayPal uh, developer uh, advocate, though I, I just leave it as PayPal because uh, that whole journey sort of like, I think they were trying to create like a, a platform for e-commerce interactions. And so it was trying to bring all these, you know, I think they bought Magento around that time. And so they're trying to bring all these APIs and, and create this unified platform that they called the, like the fabric, I think it was called. So that was the time frame, And, uh, and you'll probably laugh at this. Uh, my boss came to me and alerted me that there was some, some new competition out there, this startup that I had to go check out called Stripe. And I was like, oh, who are these little guys? What are they up to? I like the name. Uh, but uh, after I looked at their docs, I was like, oh, yeah, like this is really well done. And uh, and Dewalla was also oh, yeah. uh, was also uh, up and coming at that time. So those were the and Braintree. Yeah, those were sort of the three main um, uh, competition for PayPal out there when I joined. Interesting. Yeah, I knew a lot of the Dewalla folks in New York and um eventually got to know the PayPal team quite well a little later when they started Battlehack, uh, which yeah. I think was after your time. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time for APIs in general, right? Like it, it very much felt like uh, sort of like an API renaissance. It, it, a lot was going on in those couple of years. Like, were you on the road constantly? Like, what was that job actually like, you know, as you were building out x.com at that point? Yeah, yeah, we had a we had a, a a real tactical approach to the world, which I think a lot of companies did at the time. So it was answer CFPs, you know, get out on the road, get out, get get in front of developers. That was really the mandate. And so it was meetups, it was um, you know hackathons, it was uh, conferences. So yeah, I think I was probably doing several events a month, and I, th I think one month I traveled so much. And my wife traveled for a week in for her job. I think we for one month we only spent a week together because we were we were on the road so much, and uh, that was a lot. I think I realized I needed uh, to scale back a little bit at that point. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, that style of DevRel from that time period led to a lot of burnout, right? Uh, the the field has matured a lot since then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people learned uh, lessons around that. And, uh, you know, COVID really uh, kind of, uh, I think, reset everyone's mind around that. But in a way, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to get back out and, and get to some events this year. And, and I do miss that FaceTime. I do miss the conversations after the sessions are done when people are, you know, having a beer or, you know, whatever they're doing before or after hours, I, I find those are sometimes the most uh, interesting conversations and connections are built that way that you follow up on and you build friendships from. So I, I really kind of miss that aspect of it. Yeah, I, it's funny, I, I started at Twilio around the same time. And one of the things I really remember, which I, I still think is around, but perhaps less so due to COVID is it was very non-transactional. Like a big part of the role of DevRel was literally like meeting and supporting developers, sometimes on a one-on-one -on -one basis and not necessarily seeking anything in return. Like there were so many people where I bought them a beer or I got them lunch or we met at a conference and we just had a really good conversation, made that connection. And maybe it turned into something business-wise, maybe it didn't, but like it was very serendipitous and organic. 
Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, a, um, it was good. And it was also, I think challenging because when people would want to see like, what are the metrics? What's the ROI, right? That was the, the, the term people would always ask, where's my ROI on sending you to, you know, across the country for this event. And uh, we still have that question. It's still sort of hard, but I think we've gotten better uh, at looking at how do, can we measure the efforts that we're putting out there for the community? Yeah. Um, did you report into marketing at PayPal? Um, I think I was fortunate that we were actually, I think, reporting into a more of an engineering platform kind of group. Um, but we were we were definitely in our own little world where we would talk to other engineering groups about improving or fixing something in the API. And it was always like, thanks for the feedback, but you know, we've got, you know. We'll talk to you in 18 months about that. So that was, I think, a real challenge um, culturally at the time. PayPal had the merchants that were really important. It had the end cons consumers they were trying to get uh, to create PayPal accounts. And then, you know, the developer business, you know, the APIs were sort of the third in line. And I, I feels like that's changed over the years through, you know, acquisitions and just culture. But uh, at the time, it was a, a little bit of an uphill battle to, to get things you know, where you thought they needed to be to, to be successful with developers. Yeah. Um, you made an offhand comment that you felt fortunate to be in engineering rather than marketing. Well, yeah. I, I would guess that you touched marketing more over the years after PayPal, but like, do you have a strong opinion about where DevRel sits? Like, what, how, why do you say fortunate? Oh, gosh. You know, my opinion on this, I think, changes every other job that I, I, every other company I work with. And I think it's because uh, I've had engineering leaders who don't get technology and um, therefore, like, either question what I do or just leave me completely alone, uh, which can be okay. But I, I actually really like collaborating with marketing. I, I love, um, I love what they do when they do it well. And so I feel like it's a lost opportunity. And then on the other side, when you're inside engineering, everything gets measured by engineering metrics and the advocacy kind of can get lost or misunderstood. And, you know, marketing can kind of go off and say, well, you're with the engineering team. We don't work with you. And again, you lose that collaboration. So um I think I've found the most success with people who are product people more than straight up engineers. Um, they tend to kind of understand the desire to connect and understand customers, uh, but also have influence on engineering and roadmaps. And so it's kind of the best of both worlds there. Yeah, it's everyone I talk to has a different perspective on this. And I know it's sort of the... Um, I don't know. It's just that DevRel topic that we're constantly revisiting, but it's it's interesting, right? Like obviously different departments have different metrics and DevRel is kind of a weird, you know, unique uh, team in that it can impact so many different parts of the organization, but it doesn't necessarily have a disproportionate impact on a single one of them. Yes. Yes. It's, it's got that cross-functional aspect. And uh, I've also come to realize that the size of your team is 
never going, you know, when you're in DevRel and you're a leader, it's never going to really be equivalent to some of the size that marketing or engineering or product can get to because quite often your your company just doesn't need that many DevRel people. And so you can have a, a, a sizable title in DevRel, but it doesn't mean you've got a team of 50 people reporting to you unless you're at you know one of the, the top 10 technology companies where they've got huge uh, DevRel teams. What are the implications of that within an organization that you, you're sort of limited by team size? You know, I, I don't think... Um, I think it, well, I don't think teams, the size of your team limits like how effective you can be. It just, I think, influences how many things can you get going at once. Um, for me, title is really helpful in that ability to have a seat at the table and not that you're not respected, but your your voice is listened to maybe uh, a little bit more if you've got a, a little more senior title. And so for me, that's I love being able to have an impact at the companies I'm at. And so having that that title is sometimes what helps me kind of have that that influence that i'm I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm waiting for a company to have like a a chief developer officer or something. you know, like they have chief evangelist, but that's usually yeah. not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, uh, Ken Lane over at Postman is probably the role model for for that role because he is having a massive impact and he's got a, a, a title that stands above. Uh, but I, I've not spoken to him since he's uh, joined uh, and and led all those initiatives to ask him like, you know, how are you doing this? Like, how big is your team? And and kind of you know learn from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's definitely. Uh... I mean, he's the API evangelist, right? Like he's the guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, of anyone. Um, so uh, I'm curious, like, like we started talking a little bit about sort of the strategy of where DevRel sits in an organization and how you can have a seat at the table for these like high level corporate decisions. Um, I, I'm curious, like how you sort of maneuvered from being an individual developer advocate to being a, a VP of DevRel, right? It's DevRel is kind of often a zigzaggy career path, you know, like no one gets a degree in DevRel and joins the industry and just goes up in the ranks. So how did you actually transition from, you know, IC to manager in the field? Yeah, you know, I'm a, I think I, I'm going to say it, it really depends on personality. I'll be honest. I see people who are just go-getters that are going to, you know, advance their career and, and get those bigger titles over time. And I don't think that in my career, I've really been that way. That's I'm often very much like, what can I do? How can I help? And that can sometimes be a hindrance to, to career progression. But at a certain point when I was at zero, I, I felt that I could actually get, I could step into a leadership role with the team because I had a real idea of what needed to be fixed and what the team needed to, to be more successful. And I went and proposed that and was fortunate enough to have someone who you know, believed that I could do it and, and helped me get into that position. And it's from there that I learned a, a lot about the more of the the strategy and figuring out how do I take a step back and be the mentor and the support mechanism for a team as opposed to the doer 
which I still, you know, I still don't mind getting my hands dirty, but I always have to keep challenging myself to say, is this the best use of my time? Could I be helping someone or helping a, a group of people do their jobs better? And so uh, I think that's really, uh, in Devrel, that becomes the real challenge is more of an internal struggle for what do I want to be doing and, and where can I best, uh, you know, have an impact? Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, uh, you know, in helping your team get better, what are some of the core skills that you've worked on with, you know, developer advocates that, that you've managed? Yeah, I would say it depends on the individual, but in some cases, I found those writing skills, those effective communication, at least in, in, in written word, is important, I think, guiding the, the tone, right? Just the tone of the article. Some folks are extremely, they want to inject a huge amount of humor, and sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes you want them to kind of dial it down a notch, and being able to provide that sort of feedback and guidance, I think, helps. Uh, I would say at other times, you've got an initiative like I had uh, when COVID hit, we switched from live events to webinars. And I did the first one and helped kind of figure out what the framework was for it. And then I turned it over, over to someone on my team to lead and she did an amazing job. And, and in fact, I feel like she leveled it up after she took over, but it was great to be able to to give her the structure so she wasn't sort of floundering trying to figure out like how do I even get started with organizing our first webinar and so I think as a leader you can you can that's how you can be hands-on but then delegate and let go of the reins a little bit and it gives them an, people on your team an opportunity to grow because they don't want to be stuck doing the same thing every day and that's sadly that's when you start losing folks that are really great yeah I also feel like there's a level of air cover you can give as a leader starting a new initiative. Like if a developer advocate does a webinar that fails, that may reflect more poorly on them than it does on you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you want to set them up for success, right? Because, because that's, you're right. That air cover is important. I think also just going to bat for resources, like those are the sort of things you, you, every manager does for their team. But I think in DevRel, whether that's a travel budget, it's for tooling, whatever your team needs, uh, a new microphone, like being able to go up and, and make sure that they're getting what they need to do their job well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now that you've sort of been in DevRel management in, in a couple of different organizations, have you developed any like core principles that you really bring with you from org to org? Yeah, I was, I've been thinking about that. And if I was going to put together a bumper sticker, uh, I, I think I'd, I'd sum it up as strategy before tactics. And my biggest challenge when you go in new to an organization is the leadership is fired up and they've got lots of ideas and they're ready for you to start executing. You've been there. You, you can make this, you can get the ball rolling quickly. And while that's true, you don't know who they're, you don't know their target persona. You, you don't know the product that well, you don't know the team or the organization that well, and building those relationships before you start, you know, kicking down doors, I think is, is an important period of time at any organization. And I think there's a level of patience that you have to trust that leadership will provide you so that you can get that strategy worked out 
and figure out what are the tactics that are going to support the strategy best and which we can actually do successfully here. Interesting. What What is that ramp up timeline to begin showing results? Because I think that's often a tension in DevRel is people want to see things now. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. I think 60 days is is probably the minimum. You know, I, I don't know if that's, if that's, you know, if you could do it in less, maybe you could. Um, yeah, I think it just depends on the individual, depends on the organization. How many people do you have to connect with? How complex is the product? Uh, do you have domain expertise that you can actually start actioning? Or are you just a really great DevRel person who's who's going into a totally different you know technology and you have to ramp up on that as well? Uh, yeah, because you got to speak authentically, right? You, you can't go and talk about a product and BS your way through it. Uh, developers are going to smell that out pretty quickly. Absolutely. Um, so you're at API Matic now. Uh, I, I found it kind of funny because it almost felt like meta DevRel, like you're you're doing DevRel for developers building developer platforms, right? Like, is yeah. that an accurate portrayal? <laughs> I was so happy to see you use the term meta because I've said that several times recently, trying to describe what API Matic does. And that when I finish, I say, you know, it feels sort of meta to me because uh, what we do is we help automate building developer portals and SDKs, which traditionally you might write by hand. And that is uh, for APIs, typically, you know, that's what we work on. And those APIs are then going to be consumed by developers. So like our developers are trying to win with developers. So yeah, it is, it does feel very meta. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 been very very uh, cool company to to join, and it feels like a good fit for what I've been doing the last you know four or five years. So at, at API Matic, I would imagine you're exposed to a lot of different developer platforms and approaches out in the industry. Um, what are you seeing right now that's sort of like on the bleeding edge of building developer tools? Yeah, you know, um, I'll be honest, I've been with the company only about a little over three months. And so I'm still You're in that ramp up period. I'm still in the ramp up period, but you know, things are starting to uh starting to boil over. I've actually got some some interesting projects that should be launching, you know, in the next month or so. But uh yeah, to, to answer that question, it's um it's a little tough to say. Like I haven't talked to enough of our customers to say like what I'm seeing, but something that we've observed at, at the company is there's a lot of sprawl, I would say, and there's a real desire at companies to, you know, take their APIs and take their developer experience and unify it. And I think that's just, you know, that just comes with maturity and, and where we are as an industry, as far as APIs becoming more and more prevalent that, uh, Different teams have built them over time. Different leadership have championed them at different times. And so someone comes in and says, hey, we need to kind of bring these all together. And that's one of the things that uh, API Matic has been helping with is we'll, we'll sit down with our you know, customers and we'll figure out how do we take all your open API specs, you know, bring them all together, 
maybe they're in open API, maybe they're in some other format. Let's transform those into, you know, a, a more modern format. And then let's uh, build out your portal and, you know, the SDKs and the use case guides and everything else that you need to, to create a really great experience. Does that unification um, require a company to centralize the management of that? Like, Because when I think about APIs and developer experience, often it's spread across a lot of departments. You know, engineering might be building the API. Someone totally different might be building the actual like language specific SDK. Someone else might be writing the docs or the tutorials. Like, is unification like driving people to centralize that? Like, is that not implied? I mean, how do you think about it? Yeah. Um, when it when it comes to the companies that are you know bringing their API specifications to APImatic, I think a, a, a fundamental question that we we like to understand is what's your what's your workflow and what's your long term plan to maintain this? Because uh, if you're generating this from your code base, which a lot of folks do, and then you know maybe it's Swagger two and then you transform it, uh, what's What's your game plan for making sure that it's complete and accurate and robust and kept up to date and that the different engineers that come and go will continue to maintain those annotations uh, at, at the level that is required for you to create really high quality documentation? There's a, I think there's an inherent tension in, in this workflow, right? Because you're expecting engineers to be really good technical writers. Um, the other the other way you can generate tension is where you pull the specification out and that becomes a living document that then must be maintained by, let's say, technical writers who then it, it introduces that coordination with engineering. Whenever the API changes, we got to make sure the spec is changing. And I think that's why I'm a big advocate for contract testing uh, as a way to introduce some validation that your your spec actually is a is a reflection of your live API because otherwise you're you're generating docs or SDKs that uh, aren't going to perform because there's a mismatch in the parameters that are being expected or something as simple as that interesting have you seen any good workflows for ensuring that long form content uh, aligns with that like is there a testing framework for long form content I've never heard of one not that I'm aware of. Um, and when you say long form content, are you thinking like uh, guided walkthroughs or recipes or what, what sort of things like that? That's a great question. Um, I'm thinking walkthroughs, tutorials, something that goes beyond documentation and examples, right? Because those are often bite sized. Like, yeah, this API method can do this thing. It's yeah. not here is an example application to inspire you to some other use case. Yeah. Yeah, I would say uh, one thing that impressed me about API-matic and the developer portal that they create is because they're creating the SDKs along with the dev portal, it's not just an API reference. They actually generate a getting started guide and they have screenshots that are SVGs that they actually like update the paths. So like it actually is what you need to 
download the SDK initially and get it up and running in, in a sample project and make that you know first API call. And then they also generate like lot like live code samples that are in the documentation and you can actually turn off and on different properties and it it updates the code in real time and they even have a button that you click that says give me the complete code which means it's like copy paste runnable and to me i was like that's my dream like that's what i aspire to whenever i've in the past when i've created sdks is how can i get code samples that are like fully built out yet still manage to be readable and concise so developers can learn from them and and still use them so it's it's there's all kinds of challenges and uh i i'm i'm the more i do this the more i come to the conclusion that developer experience uh, is hard it, it, and it takes a lot of work and so that's probably why we have jobs and probably why we are you know continuing to push this profession forward is because we know it's hard right now, but we keep trying to make it easier and, and build better and better tools for companies. Yeah, it sounds like API-matic is moving in that direction. I mean, even the idea that a getting started can be automatically updated and, and generated. Like I remember version hell from a million different APIs that like it's just like one little thing is is out of sync, you know, and it yeah. throws everything off. Yeah, I think my uh, I'm waiting for how do we do this with live video? <laughs> how do we fix that command? You know, that that error you had in your command line or, or something changes in the product. And now I got to go update these videos and re-record them. It's like I think that's a, a frontier that I'd love to see uh, somehow solved for because it would be extremely cool. Yeah, I actually have a friend um, who is building something in that space. I, I don't know, actually, if he's still on the track of developer-focused content, but he was building a um, sort of this like hybrid tool that recorded your screen, but was integrated into your code editor so that the video and the code editor were synced up with like text that you could copy and paste and, and play around with. Um, and, and that was kind of what he was getting at is like editable live video where like some of it was video, but some of it was code and it was all integrated together. That's amazing. I, I'm going to have to follow up with you after this uh, call <laughs> and just pick your brain for amazing tools that are, are out there because it seems like there's a, there's a new one every day being uh, released, whether it's uh, uh, something you buy or open source. There's just so much good things happening uh, in the community. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. It's um, everyone's trying to improve the craft. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I'm curious to kind of like zoom out a bit. Uh, let's talk about like developer education generally. You know, you started in kind of a non-traditional path, similar to me. Um, you know, I've spoken to people who have PhDs in computer science and people who have never written a line of code in their life, but you know, are excellent educators and writers. Like, what do you think, you know, developers should be doing to learn technical skills to enter the industry, you know, today as things stand? Yeah, I feel like it's, it, it is a world of difference from when I started. Uh, I, I was thinking about this question. And if you were going to ask me, like, how did I learn when I got started? I, 
I think it was books. I think you would go down to, you know, whatever bookstore. I'm trying to remember, there was one that was really great that had all the technical books, all of the uh, the O'Reilly books, and you would just go down there and just you know gorge yourself on those. But you know, nowadays there's so much great content. There's there's learning platforms. There's those you know live boot camps. But I guess if I was going to give any advice to someone who was going to go and learn a technical skill, there's the, you know, getting started, you know, getting the understanding of the tools needed, how to set up your environment, how to get to hello world. But the way that you really improve and become better at your craft is to actually go build things. And I've, I've interviewed quite a few folks for DevRel who like, they they've got some boot camp experience and they're they're excited they got they they appear to be good communicators but w- when you think about what level of experience they have like they haven't gone out and actually built something haven't spent a couple years on a team and and felt some of those developer pains and so i think that's a really uh that's a really key thing i at, at when i was at lob there was a lot of pair programming that went on that i think was really great um but I, I think I'm focusing on a lot of the one-on-one sort of things that people do individually. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, are, are there tools and platforms that you've seen that are just like great for, for getting people to, I would say like kind of blossom as engineers, you know, where, where I'm not just following a tutorial, but I'm actually thinking up a problem that I have no idea how to solve. And then I'm figuring out how to solve it. I'm learning from that. I mean, honestly, I kind of, came to a similar conclusion that you did where there is no substitute for actually building something. Um, There's just like a, my recommendation to people who are learning to code is typically like take some kind of learning resource. Maybe it's a bootcamp, maybe it's a tutorial, maybe it's a video course, but have a specific project in mind as you are learning those fundamentals. Cause like, who cares if you know how a loop works? That doesn't tell you anything, right? Yeah. Like you need to know like where and when you need to utilize that. And I think that only becomes apparent when you are trying to accomplish a goal, like to solve a real problem. Um, that's why I, you know, I'm still very bullish on hackathons, especially for, for early career folks, because it is a dedicated time and place to build something. And yeah. I, you know, I don't think it's a substitute for, for computer science knowledge, like there's a lot there, but um, it's a separate skill set, right? Like I always equate this to uh, artists or even musicians, you know, like you might be the most technically competent, you know, guitarist or painter, but you're not going to be able to create anything novel if you haven't like just practiced it a lot. And I, and I think coding is the same way. Yeah. To, to extend your music metaphor, I think you might be an amazing musician, but struggle to click with a band if you've never played with a band before. And so you're right in a hackathon situation. Uh, I, I used to go to those and sponsor those and coordinate those. And I, I always enjoyed it when a, a team of diverse people would get together and they'd be bouncing ideas and supporting each other and learning from each other uh, in, a, in that very short period of time. Yeah, often uh, it like unlocks something in people's brains where they are able to finish something that they didn't even think was possible before just by yeah. putting their mind to it. Yeah, um, yeah. Cool. Uh, 
I always like to end these conversations on, on what I think is kind of an interesting question. Um, I like to ask people who in the world of DevRel or tech or, you know, I've even heard wider science and engineering. Would you like to grab and for a couple hours, just like take them to lunch and pick their brain? Yeah. Uh, you know, I find this question to be very, very difficult. It's like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite song, right? Or you're on an island, you can only bring one album with you. I feel like it says so much about you as a person. So, you know, I guess I would say uh, Steve Jobs is no longer with us. So he would be my number one. And so without him, I guess I would go with Steve Wozniak simply because I've heard so many great things about him as a person. I hear he's really funny. I hear he loves music as well. And so I think we would just hang out and just have a good time together. And I don't think I'd be learning, wanting to like pick his brain for like insight, more of just pure enjoyment of the stories that he could tell. And just, I'd love to hear more of like what, what gets him excited because I think he's, from what I understand, he still is engaged with tech and gadgets and just loves loves technology. And uh, I think I'm in the same way. So we'd have a good time. I love that. And coming full circle, he was an educator too, right? He went back and taught a middle school class, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he went the opposite route. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you become a, a billionaire, it's uh, you have a lot of options. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, Thank you so much, uh, Sid, for your time. I really appreciate everything you had to share and I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, if people wanna find you or your work online, what are the best uh, places to track you down? Sure, sure. Uh, well, you can you can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm very open to connecting with people there. Uh, I'm, I'm as uh, Sydney Maestri. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Sydney Allen, A-L-L-E-N and uh sydney s-i-d-n-e-y so uh if you're still on twitter i don't know how people are feeling about that is it the days. same on mastodon <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you can find me on hacky derm yep hey me too yeah. cool cool yeah so come you know definitely reach out if if you want to chat about anything devrel or developer experience uh i love connecting with folks awesome well thank you so much again and um thank everyone for listening uh if you enjoyed it definitely like and subscribe we'll have more episodes soon uh, and happy hacking everyone take care the state of developer education is brought to you by major league hacking or mlh to find out more about mlh and how we power innovation cultivate developer communities and teach technical skills to students around the world visit mlh.io and then make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Don't forget to like and review the show, and we'll give you a shout out on a future episode. On behalf of the team here at MLH, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking.